Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I believe that by not borrowing another $500 million, we were borrowing, you know, to balance the budget. And so now we have a resource from the federal government that is really designed for us to stabilize our revenues until uh, such a time as they come back up, which we believe that by the end of this uh, federal spending period, the revenues should be should, should have stabilized. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Alderman Jason Irvin, the former village manager of Maywood, appointed by Mayor Daley in 2011 to replace the venerable Ed Smith. You represent the 28th Ward on the West Side, and you serve as the chairman of the City Council's Black Caucus. You're also one half of a Chicago power couple. You and your other half, dare I say the better half, is City Treasurer Melissa Conyers-Urban, who was a guest on this show two weeks ago. I guess it's only fair I wouldn't that- call us a power couple. <laughs> okay, well, I guess it's only fair that you get equal time or here to defend yourself or something. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm okay. It's a beautiful day in Chicago. You are among 45 aldermen who decided to accept the automatic cost of living aldermanic pay raise that this year amounts to a whopping five and a half percent. I doubt if any of your West Side constituents or any constituents in Chicago, for that matter, are getting five and a half percent pay raises in a single year. Why did you feel comfortable accepting such a large pay raise at such a tough time for most people? Well, you know, these things pretty much are, are automatic and they, they go with the cost of living. The cost of living has risen. And I can tell you that the work that uh, us and uh, members of the council have been doing during this pandemic have been uh, daunting, uh, working in new ways to communicate, work with people, not only taking a personal health and safety risk to uh, serve the constituents, but also uh, working much longer in different uh, type of ways and different types of hours. So, I mean, our, our work is, is not a nine to five job, as you know, we, you know, many times are working 60, uh, 70 hours a week at what we do here. And, and probably most frankly, uh, most of us could probably make more money and outside of the sector that we're working in. But we do this work because um, we, we care about our communities, we care about our neighbors, and we care about our city. And so the the COLA as it is done uh, is just something that pretty much is perfunctory uh, for uh, for most of us. Some do not take those um, raises, but I, I would willing to bet they don't have the same challenges that many of the communities that I serve on the West Side have. And the time it takes uh, for our uh, work to get done in the community, even though we all have roughly the same amount of people, 
but a lot of our wards are very different and have different demands and different needs. And so I know we're constantly working, and um, that is why you know we you know, have not, and it's just perfunctory, and it's just a cost of living adjustment at a time where a lot of us didn't receive any of the uh, monies from um, you know payroll protection or any of the other federal funding that has come along. So uh, I don't I don't feel that there's an issue um, with that. Well, but for years, Aldermanic pay raises were a politically volatile subject that aldermen needed to grapple with every four years, take a vote if they dared or not. And suddenly in 2006, somebody got the bright idea to change this to an automatic escalator, same as the one that. Mayor Lightfoot and the city council approved tied to property taxes. And so that gets you off the hook politically. But really, it's not a profile in courage to do that. Don't you think it's time to go back to the old way and take a vote on it, take a stand? Well, again, this is something that's, that was put in place prior to uh, my joining the council. And again, you could change it. Uh, you could change with, it. You could try. These things, uh, you know, work over time, and I and I believe that um, a, a cola, which is something that generally our, our you know unionized workforce has, our uh, staffs uh, generally get. This is not something that's that's new to uh, new to government or new new to anything. So I, I don't believe that it's necessary to go through all of the rigmarole to uh, go back and forth and and do that. And again, um, the everyone everyone that I know in the city council, these, these guys work hard. I mean, this is not a a, a powder puff type of activity or a job. And everybody's working hard. I will say some work harder than others based on our community, but everybody's working hard out here to help and help with constituents to bring development. It's a lot of stuff that goes on that people don't see. So uh, I have no uh, objection to how it was done. And again, um, you know, if we decide to do something different, that would definitely need to be the will of the body in its totality. But you wouldn't favor it. I'm not, I don't know. I, I, well, let me just say this. I, I think that, you know, just because one year it's abnormal because cost and pricing has gone up due to inflation, it doesn't, you know, it's it's not just a, uh, it's just a one time that it, it hit this way, but generally it's fairly low. And then sometimes it's been negative. So I think that, you know, o- overall, this is not, you know, necessarily, uh, necessarily bad policy. Now, if someone wants to put a cap on it, that I could understand, but uh, to just say automatically to deny it, I, I don't think that's fair to to those that are working. What uh, what what kind of cap would be fair? Uh, you know what? I, I couldn't 3%. answer that question. How about three percent? I, I couldn't. A- I couldn't answer what that that would be. And, and somewhere in that range probably does make some sense. So it, it may be something to consider. Uh, but I, I think to automatically say, hey, no, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's fair because, again, everyone but else. I'm not saying you know, automatically say no. I'm saying go back to the old way of taking a vote. Profile and courage. If you're for it, well, again, vote for we, it. the the council has taken the vote, and it was voted to to, to be done I understand, this way. But isn't it time to it go is. back to the old way where you have to do it? We're going every forward, forward, not backward, Fran. Fran, I thought you were forward thinking <laughs> person. You want to walk backwards, and, and we we need to walk forward and continue right, to figure so out you, ways to help as many citizens as we can during this this uh, challenging time for everybody. 
All right. Earlier this week, Mayor Lightfoot's plan to use the threat of civil lawsuits to go after Chicago street gangs was put on the slow track. It was shunted off to the Rules Committee, normally the burial ground for legislation the mayor opposes. It'll be unburied later today, sent to the Public Safety Committee. Nevertheless, you stood at the mayor's side and supported her in this effort to go after what she called the blood money of street gangs wreaking havoc and killing innocent people on Chicago streets. This is an idea, Jason, that is not new. It's been tried with very mixed, if not poor success in the suburbs for years. What makes you think it'll work now in Chicago at a time when homicides and shootings and carjackings continue to rise from last year's very troubling levels? Well, let me say this. Um, I, I do believe that looking at the assets of those that are involved in the illegal trades um, on in these communities is is a right way to go. Again, this is all about money. When we look at the homicides, we look at the robberies, we look at all of the, a lot of, I won't say all, but a lot of the negative activity that occurs in our city is centered around uh, gang violence, drugs, narcotics, and the like. So I do not feel that going after uh, those individuals and their resources is wrong. What I will say is that, um, you know, the successes in other communities, I think, have been tied to resources. So here we have a, a, a you know, unit for uh, counterterrorism and criminal networks that, that has the resources and the ability to put time into working on these particular cases. And I do believe that we will see success uh, from this. And again, no one is trying to go after the kids standing on the corner who's got, you know, four or five bags or a jab or something. We're not, that's not, that's not the aim here. It's those high level individuals uh, with, you know, significant assets that are ultimately the masterminds of what's happening out here, the carnage that we're seeing out here on Chicago streets. So I definitely support the measure to go after the uh, resources of these individuals who are essentially uh, the catalyzers of crime and violence in a lot of communities in our city. The mayor says she's going after these gang members who flaunt a lavish lifestyle of money and cars and jewelry and guns and lure young people into this lifestyle of theirs. But Cook County public defender Sharon Mitchell has predicted that the city is going to end up taking a lot of what he calls Camrys and civics from unsuspecting grandmothers and suing a bunch of poor people who will end up getting damages from the city and it'll do nothing to bring down the crime rate. Well, again, that's the public defender and that's what you expect a, a criminal defense attorney to say. Um, here's, here's where we are. If um, people are, you know, living off of the proceeds of illegal activity, um, those individuals and those assets deserve to be taken because they were created off of the misery of citizens in our city. So again, if, if grandma is driving this, the, the, the Civic, the Cadillac or whatever that grandson bought or son bought out here killing the community, then that deserves to be taken. So I don't have any uh, qualms or anything about someone who is living off of the proceeds and the profit of this illegal activity that's killing our community from those assets being taken. But in targeting these gangs, the city is going to use the police department's flawed gang database. What makes you think that 
innocent people who simply have associates who are in gangs but are not in gangs themselves won't be caught up in this. Here's because you're going, I mean, this is something that ultimately has to get adjudicated uh, in our court system. And if someone is falsely uh, in a database or has not met the threshold, again, there are, it's not just being in the database, there are thresholds that you have to meet in order to uh, be even be considered, meaning one of them has to do around violent crime. The other was other participating activity uh, within a certain amount of time. And so just because you uh, unfortunately may have been uh, placed in a gang database 10 years ago off of a stop because you were with someone would not necessarily qualify you for this type of enforcement. So I think that the process, as it's said, and we're talking about going to court, bringing the case to court, those things uh, have the uh, have the ability to be vetted. And again, it's not designed or targeted at, at the kid that was 10 years ago that just happened to be standing on a corner with a group of friends that happened to be in a gang. If they have no other criminal activity, no other criminal record, they wouldn't even qualify for this type of enforcement. Three years ago, your West Side residents packed the city council chambers to plead for a stronger anti-gang loitering ordinance to take back their neighborhood. They said their streets were overrun with gangbangers and drug dealers and prostitutes. They described kids being forced to walk past scantily clothed women on their way to school and witness sex acts in broad daylight. They got some relief when you convinced your colleagues to start by outlawing prostitution-related loitering. You then proposed a broader anti-gang loitering ordinance to replace one overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court nearly 20 years ago, but that ordinance went nowhere. So you've been, I mean, what's happening on that front right now in your ward? So again, uh, the ultimately, this is coming down to enforcement. And every meeting that I have with members of the Chicago Police Department, we talk about the enforcement of the ordinance as it exists right now. And what we're seeing is that we do not see the level of dispersals that we need to see, even in the spots that have been determined. So this will definitely be a topic that is discussed uh, during our budget hearings because uh, we firmly believe that if these items are enforced the way they're meant to be enforced, it would do a lot to relieve some of our most troubled uh, locations as it relates to uh, gang and narcotics related loitering. Uh, we continue to uh, battle and go back and forth with the ACLU on this topic because the ordinance as presented was not location-based. Uh, the ordinance as it exists today is strictly on a location at quote-unquote qualifying location. However, uh, not every, uh, every place has got that level of activity. However, to the residents that live in those particular areas, just because they're not you know, it's like you have to be the worst of the worst to get this type of treatment. But we don't want to become the worst of the worst to get this type of treatment. And that's what we're proposing. But we continue to uh, fight with and, and talk with the ACLU over this particular issue. Um, I am, you know, again, talking with our colleagues around this issue because they're beginning to see what we've been dealing with for the last 20 plus years in many communities here on the West Side. And they understand it a lot better now that they're experiencing the shootings, now that they're experiencing the uh the the activity that for years have just been um you know uh limited to a couple of communities so right now we just have the anti-gang loitering prostitution ordinance but not the more sweeping one that you wanted 
That is correct. But again, I, I am not resting and in, in, in on that. We are continuing to move and push that item. And the more conversations that we have with people and to get them to understand it, the more people do understand. Now, we also have individuals to, to who under no circumstances will accept that. And we understand that. But, you know, we work in a democratic society and, and and our goal is to to work toward getting the majority of council members to see what this is uh doing in our communities and, and to allow this uh, what i call reckless uh, loitering that leads to the shootings and if you've noticed uh in the last you know six eighteen months or so um the number of mass shootings that occur and just about every situation had this type of a ordinance been in place um, it, it would have given the police the ability to break up these types of, of crowds and, and potentially save lives uh, with these particular uh, uh, types of mass shootings that have happened and have just kind of permeated in the last you know year, year and a half. So do you think you have the votes now? Are you going to make a renewed push for that ordinance, the more sweeping one, anti-gang loitering? Yes, we definitely, and I've been in conversation with the chair of the committee. And again, you know, now people are people are really beginning to see what what it is that we've been talking. Because again, this stuff has been isolated, been isolated in pretty much two districts in the city. And now that it's, it's starting to spread, people do understand what it is that our residents are talking about, and they get to see it up in close and personal in their own communities, not in some faraway land that that I don't go to, but in in you know greater communities. Do you think you have the votes now? You know what? I wouldn't say that we have all the votes that are needed. Uh, whatever we do, I, I definitely feel that there's going to be challenge. So we're also working with the law department and everyone to get comfortable with something because we know that uh, what we have now is not as effective as it could be. Also slowed down at Tuesday's council meeting was the mayor's plan to shrink the downtown exclusion zone and otherwise relax zoning laws for recreational marijuana to ease the path for social equity applicants. Alderman Beal and Lopez, two of uh, Lightfoot's most outspoken critics, uh, used a parliamentary maneuver to stall this. Beal says 40% of these social equity applicants are fronts for white-owned companies, and that until the General Assembly fixes that, the city council here in Chicago should not relax zoning to make it easier for marijuana shops and dispensaries to open here. Uh, why, why should the city council forge ahead with this? Why not take a stand here and make sure that the people who are supposed to benefit do? Well, just in his uh, own statement, uh, if 40 percent uh, potentially are fronts, that means that 60 percent of them are actually legitimate. And at the end of the day, do we want to hold back uh, legitimate social equity businesses from participating? Because as all of this, all of this delay right now is doing is giving the the current players in the market a, a field day as it relates to um, having a recreational cannabis sales in the city of Chicago. So I think the shrinking of the exclusion zone uh, was the right thing to do. It opens up uh, large areas in the central business district and some of our more touristy areas uh, for this type of activity. And again, for uh, social equity applicants. So I, I think that uh, the train has left the station on this. We had an opportunity to just delay sales totally. And our city uh, council balked on that. 
and uh, we're here now. So the the activity is going on, and if it's going on, I think that uh, social equity applicants should benefit. And holding them up any longer, I don't think, will help solve the challenges that the alderman uh, mentions. Well, in fact, uh, Beal thinks that you were you were not wise in letting the train leave the station. You should have taken well, a stand. I, I led the charge. Uh, I led I the charge to, to, to not let the train. I mean, you were overridden the by Lightfoot the following day. So, so I mean, you think it was a mistake then? You think it's a, and you think it's okay now or? What? Well, here's what I say. I think that at the time, uh, putting the pressure on the General Assembly to clean up uh, the the bill uh, by limiting the largest municipality in the city from having, uh, you know, locating that here, uh, I think would have created greater pressure to get a better outcome. Uh, in the General Assembly, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot different once the once the you know horse is out the barn, the money is flowing. Uh, it's a lot. It's a different conversation. I think the pro the the challenge uh, today is that again, there's revenue going on. Uh, people are trying to get into this, and I believe that even some of those at the time that were considering social equity applications that were against what we were doing at that point. Would would have actually when the, after the lottery the first round happened would actually supported it because again we knew or we believe what was going to happen did happen and so you know now we've got some things that are that are fixed they've had three rounds of uh, of of lotteries and and, and like and, and we're seeing some you know local businesses local owners local residents having an opportunity to participate and I don't believe it's necessary to hold hold everybody up. Um, and those processes will be vetted as it relates to if somebody's in front or if they don't qualify, then the state would need to take necessary action on those. Mayor Lightfoot will deliver a budget address and introduce her 2022 budget on Monday, along with her plan to spend $1.9 billion in federal stimulus funds. What are you expecting here? I, I expect it to be no new taxes other than the automatic $20 million property tax escalator tied to the cost of living. What are you expecting here? You know, I'm expecting, number one, uh, the ARP money um, will be utilized in a manner to work with, uh, I will call it revenue replacement, because our, our revenues are still down uh, to the best of my understanding uh, over this. So part of that uh, $1.9 billion will be utilized uh, to shore up some deficiencies that exist uh, across our, our funds. I do believe that. The second part of this is, you know, how much? Uh, and that's what we're going to find out on Monday, how much, how much of the money is going to be used to deal with uh, balancing where we are and how much money will be placed into new investments. And that's where the conversation and that's where, quite frankly, the argument uh, will will be is how much are we going to use for which items? We also well, have we to, already uh, know she's going to use a billion of it in a kind of shell game to uh, retire the uh, 450 million scoop and toss borrowing and cancel plans for 500 million more. So that only leaves... 900 million to disperse in this once in a lifetime avalanche of federal largesse here. Do you have a problem well, I wouldn't call with that? It, let me let me just say this. I wouldn't call it a, a uh, once in a lifetime. You got to remember, we lost significant revenue uh, in this conversation. We lost a lot of revenue. So this, in essence, 
is almost trying to bring us back to even keel. And that's what I believe the federal government was was attempting to do, was to try to stabilize uh, governments. Uh, I understand. But what I'm asking point. you, and last year you had a problem with using all the money to to retire the borrowing. Do you think that that plan, which leaves only $900 million left to disperse to the various needs that Chicago has, the big needs that Chicago has. Do you think that that is a good plan or should we should we not do that? Well, let me say this. I, I believe that by not spending another borrowing another five hundred million dollars, I think that using the money, because, again, that money was being utilized to balance the budget. We were borrowing you know, to balance the budget. And so now we have a resource from the federal government that is really designed for us to stabilize our revenues until uh, such a time as they come back up, which we believe that by the end of this uh, federal spending period, the revenues should be, should, should have stabilized. I, I don't, you know, I feel that it, that's a proper use of those funds in order to not have to raise taxes, not have to raise additional revenue at a time Whereas you stated, you know, people may be having challenges. So that's I think that is a proper use of those funds and not to have the, you know, to deal with the scoop and toss. So, again, you part of the money will be utilized for that, you know, as 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 I understand it. Uh, but we'll get additional details. I think we still have to talk about the balance of the money because not all of those funds are going to be utilized for uh, revenue, for lack of a better term, revenue replacement and what investments are going to be made in communities throughout our city. Last year, the mayor balanced her budget in part by eliminating 614 police vacancies. She literally shrunk the police department by attrition. Now we have a thousand vacancies below that shrunken number. Chicago police officers are running for the hills, retiring in droves. Should those vacancies be restored or will Chicago have enough trouble filling the thousand vacancies we already have? Well, I think that it's difficult to have a conversation about 600 vacancies that you couldn't fill. Um, it, it's very clear that uh, during the time that the uh, budget was presented, it was impossible to fill uh, the vacancies as they were presented. Now we have another thousand vacancies again. It'll be very difficult at, at best to just try to fill the thousand and keep up with attrition. So I think that it was uh, from an accounting perspective, it was it was proper because it, it was impossible to 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 fill those particular vacancies. And for years, the city was uh, keeping those vacancies on the books, but, you know, backing the number out on the back end through turnover. So the reality is that these were vacancies that couldn't have been filled. These are, you know, positions on paper and why, you know, have a, have a budget that, that really is not truthful into how you're going to feel. Uh, I understand. But how's the manpower in your Harrison district, for example, on the west side? One of the most the man, violent the man in Chicago. Power, the, the manpower in every uh, district directly tied to the district is down is because down. of the creation How of the community How safety team. How down is it? Well, again, because of the creation of the community safety team. Now, on the flip side of that, 
much of the work of the community safety team is happening in their communities such as the 11th district, the 7th district, the 15th, the 4th district, and downtown. So there, a lot of those, even though these things were, were down, but the resources that have been concentrated in the communities have been increased, not only from the community safety team, but from the uh, the uh, uh, carjacking task force, and again, from the uh, counterterrorism and criminal networks group. So uh, as far as the overall resources going into many areas, what it ultimately did was take, you know, some resources from everyone to really challenge the problems that, you know, as again, 15 beats are driving, you know, 40% of the city's violence. So uh, I understood, I understand the, the strategy that the superintendent is using. However, we still need to continue hiring and recruiting uh, individuals to uh, backfill those positions as people begin to retire. Now, mind you, you have a whole crop of African-American uh, police officers uh, that are eligible for retirement. So we really have to do an extensive job of recruitment in the African-American community because we're starting to see uh, numbers of African-American police officers begin to decline as the um, as the retirement age of some of those that were hired back in the in the, in the 90s uh, come to fruition. Would you like to see the city offer a military-style stipend, a, a, a bonus, a signing bonus, to lure some African Americans to uh, take the police exam, or any candidates really to take the police exam? Would that be you a know good what? I idea? Would, I would be open to I would be open to strategies to uh, entice people to take the exam, and I and I think it's not just. In the black community, I mean, it's it's, it's all over. I mean, uh, yeah, so Lizardo what would be a fair uh, bonus, a signing bonus? Do you think that's a good I, idea? You know what? I, I I don't have an answer for that. I, I think that we would need some HR professionals to take a look at that and come up with something that was reasonable. Do you um, like the idea, I, though? I. I I'm open to any idea that's going to help uh, bring quality qualified individuals to our police department. So I'm, I'm open to any idea uh, that will help us do that. And again, the, uh, the, the consent decree has, has really given us, told us that we really need to focus on recruitment efforts. And I know that uh, Chief Talley, who, who was a commander over here in the 15th district, is uh, heading up that effort, and I think that she will, you know, do a good job in, in doing that. So we just need to provide them the support and, you know, look at national trends. What are What is L.A. doing? What is New York doing? What is Philadelphia? What are Houston doing? What are departments doing to help uh, deal with recruitment and retention uh, of, of communities? What do you like about the idea of a signing bonus? Well, I, I think it, it helps uh, open someone's eyes that may not normally be looking at it. You know, someone may have been on the fence about taking a test or thinking about the job, and, and that may be the one thing that helps pushes them over. So, I mean, after 18 months, the uh, salary of a Chicago police officer is over seventy thousand dollars. So, it, it is it is not a uh, not a poor financial choice to be a police officer. Now, it is not not the easiest job in the world, I, I must admit, and um, and it, and it and it can cause some some stress. But I think from a financial perspective, it's uh, after 18 months with just uh, 60 hours of college uh, to come out making uh, you know seventy thousand dollars plus with uh, potential to to go even further is not a uh, not a not a bad deal but again it is a, a tough and dangerous job you have said that uh reparations for the descendants of african african american slaves must come before a guaranteed income program uh will you demand that some of the stimulus money be used to start the ball rolling on reparations 
Yes, uh, we have, as as members of the Chicago Automatic Black Caucus, uh, placed reparations as one of our uh, top five concerns um, as it relates to ARP funding. Um, so we are definitely looking for uh, ideas. And when we talk about reparations, now, number one, we need to help educate uh, not just the African-American community, but the city in its totality about what reparations is, what you know the steps are, and, and how we can help uh, right some historic wrongs that have been done, uh, not only in our country, but also also here locally in, in the city of Chicago. So uh, working with uh, with Chairman uh, Sawyer and then the the uh, subcommittee chair, uh, Alderman Coleman, uh, working to do this through our communities, but reparations is something that's definitely on the agenda for the Automatic Black Caucus. But how would you like to see it start? Number one, education is, is where, where we must start because if, if you, you, you talk about reparations and, and, and people have, you ask 10 different people about reparations, you'll get 10 different answers. But I think we have to educate people as it relates to, to reparations. And reparations does not necessarily mean a direct cash payment to an individual. Uh, reparations can take place in many forms. And I think we have to explore those uh, ideas uh, in our, you know, through our council committee, just to, so people, number one, will just understand and then to make some decisions. Well, but you say you want to use some of the stimulus money. So what what would be a way to do that and begin? An example of an example of utilization of, of stimulus money on reparations uh, could deal with, uh, you know, lead pipe replacement in a home. That is that is something that could, could be utilized in such a fashion. Um, there are other ways uh, publicly that can be utilized, again, without necessarily making a direct cash payment uh, to an individual, but be utilized in ways to help repair and replace some of the challenges and tragedies and atrocities that have been uh, against a group of individuals. So again, there are other examples that can be brought to the table, but I think right now the focus has to be on education of what reparations is what it can do and how we can participate in it. And mind you, you know, we don't have to spend all of the federal money uh, today. You know, as long as there's an earmark uh, as relates to the particular program, uh, we have really almost to the end of 2025 to make an actual expenditure. And before we let you go, the new ward map, you're fighting to hold on to the 18 majority black wards you've got despite an 86,000 person drop in the African-American population in Chicago. Do you think you're going to be able to do that? And if so, how? Um, uh, I'm definitely uh, believe that we will be able to do that, uh, number one. And also we have to look at when people talk about just the drop in African-American population, but there are other communities that have definitely lost people and, and no one is you know, honing in on those particular communities a, as well. But I, I just want to say this, um, you know, we definitely uh, have a way to draw 18 majority African-American wards uh, in the city of Chicago. It can be done. The question is, will the, is the will of the council there to represent the African-American community in the manner in which it should be represented in our city? And right now, that number is 18 African-American wards, and that's the number that we are uh, working with and, and sticking to. You got the committee that uh, Carrie Austin resigned. You're now a chairman of that contracting oversight committee. Um, do you expect to support Mayor Lightfoot for re-election, or might your wife run? Um, I can tell you this: uh, my 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 wife is is singularly focused on the job that she has. 
Um, uh, she, for all, from what I see and what she does, she loves what, what she's doing, uh, working to help families uh, from a financial uh, perspective. And, and again, that's what her focus is, is on right now. Um, I do believe that um, she is going to focus on her reelection. Uh, she hasn't uh, said that publicly. That's just my opinion. Um, but again, uh, you know, we, we so have. Are you going to support uh, Mayor Lightfoot or not? Uh, if Mayor Lightfoot runs for re-election, I will be supportive of her efforts. Um, to all intents, from what I see, I do believe that, that she is running. And, and what I will say is this, in uh, our uh, city, we've had um, a lot of challenges, but I think the, uh, the intensity and the uh, directedness um, that the mayor's had towards some of our most challenging communities is something that really that we've seen no mayor do in our, in our city. Um, the work that, that if I'll just use a case in point of West Garfield Park, uh, one of the what I call the donut hole uh, of the West Side. Uh, she spent a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of resources in, into those communities. When you look at Inglewood and we look at other communities in our city, the the intensiveness and the intensity and the uh, intentionality uh, toward the uh, African-American community uh, in the city and areas that have long been uh, forgotten by many administrations in our city. The work that the uh, mayor has done, uh, I think, is 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 good stuff uh, for those communities. So what about um, the the crime, though? Has she done enough on that front? Well, crime, uh, it's crime is always a challenging issue. Um, you know, Chicago has had crime, uh, had crime for years and there is no magic bullet that's going to deal with crime. But I do think that we have to take a holistic approach and by investing in, in institutions, trying to deal with poverty, trying to deal with drug addiction, trying to deal with a lot of issues that create crime, mental health. So that we have to think about this from a different perspective, and it's just not a law enforcement solution. This is a public health crisis. This is an economic crisis. All of these things have come together to create the situation as it exists today. So, so you aspect, don't blame I, her for that, and you're always forgiven from her threat from a year ago where she said to the Black Caucus who dared to vote against her budget, don't ask me for you know what for the next four years when it comes to the capital plan. That's all forgiven? I'm not saying that that for those individuals that, that may not have taken that position, I, you'd have to ask them that. Um, I wasn't in that particular group of individuals. Um, and I believe that the work that is being done with the capital plan, the work that is being done as part of Invest Southwest uh, for communities. And I, and I will say that, um, you know, I was disappointed that Garfield Park was not included East or West Garfield Park. But when I look at the resources that have been poured into, into West Garfield Park, um, you know, I feel right on par with those Invest Southwest communities. So, um, again, I, I think that everyone has, has to, uh, you know, make their individual decisions or make their individual uh, judgments. But what I will say is that um, from that conversation uh, with with members of, of the caucus, I think that people got a better sense of what was actually on the table and what was actually being done. And, and I think that when you look at what we asked for uh, during that cycle and what we received during that cycle, um, I don't see a reason why uh, individuals were not able to um, support, be supportive of what was uh, what was done at the time. And again, um, you know, every every individual has their own style and, and how they manage and, and deal deal with things. 
But I don't think that there's anyone who who has been denied uh, what was due to them from an objective standpoint uh, as relates to the uh, capital plan and and services uh, throughout our city. Alderman Jason Irvin, thanks so much for joining us. And we will watch with interest on Monday as the budget is unveiled and in the fight ahead. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) I bet you will. And we will see you all next week.